And have your gifts and talents been cultivated? Yes. 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 <laughs> How long have you been working together? Two years, two years. So it takes two years to do all that pyramid stuff and yeah. And you work together well as a team. Yes. yes. Are you ever going to break up or is it always going to be you four making that pyramid? Always. It's always. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thanks. We enjoyed having you. I'm so glad that you're, yeah, you're welcome. And see you at the, I'll see you at the open house. Okay. And you may be seated in the house this morning. Glad so many of you are here this morning. And I know there's a good number who are watching online. I did get some text messages. So hello to all of you who are snowbound. I know some streets are really just full of snow. Couldn't get out. Glad you're watching online. It's uh, really nice that our church can be uh, online. So I know there's many that are tuning in, and we just prayed, little Lord, the Holy Spirit be on all those homes as much as you're on this house this morning, too. Uh, I do want to uh, just make one note that for the, uh, that Hearts of Love banquet, it's off-site. It's not here. So if you call the office, they'll let you know where that's going to be for any of you that are interested. So we had this cheer team up here this morning, and they did this tower. And it's pretty impressive to me. I don't know that I would uh, do that. If I did, I would want to be one of the bottom people. I would want to be planted firmly here on terra firma. I do not want to be hoisted up. Uh, how many of you would do that? Be the, how many of you would be guppy who was there on the, on the top? Uh, I, see, uh, I see a couple hands, a few hands. So there are some, some real hardy souls in the house who uh, have courage but I, don't, I, I wouldn't be there. It wouldn't be me. And I was uh, talking to the girls this morning before they, uh, before they were coming out here for our service. And I said to Guppy, who's, you know, she was the one at the top of the pyramid. I said, well, if I had three other capable girls, uh, maybe they were the freshmen on the team. Would you, would you allow those three to come in and let Austin and Brooke and Julia take the day off? No. No. Why? She said, well, they're still learning. They are still learning. The freshmen are still learning. They're not as advanced. You heard these girls were together. They've been together for two years. And that's important. She understands, you know, the capabilities of these that are underneath and holding her up. And she said... Austin and Brooke and Julia, they will catch me. They will keep me safe. And that's important, right? When you know someone, when you know someone will keep you safe, someone will help you, someone can catch you when you're falling, well, that's the person you want beneath you, right? And it takes a little bit of uh, time to build that confidence and to, to gain that trust and to know that when you are falling, you will be caught. If you've been reading along with us in our one year through the Bible, we're three quarters of the way through Exodus. And if there's anything that the Lord is trying to press upon these people, these 
Israelites, these Hebrews. He is trying to forge with these Israelites trust. We've read through over half of Exodus. When you get to Exodus 20, Exodus 20 opens with these words. This is Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. One sentence. This is a one-sentence preface. It is a one-sentence prologue to what follows, which is what many call the moral law, the Ten Commandments. We're probably interested in the commandments. We read through the commandments. We want to understand them and know them. Probably just breeze right over that opening sentence. Taking the commandments because that's the meat, right? Isn't that the meat that God wants us to know? Well, that prologue, that one sentence preface is important. It is a reminder to us and the reminder is very clear. God is saying something to these people. You were slaves. You were slaves. You were in chains. You were in bondage. And now you have been liberated from slavery. You have been saved. How did that happen? Did you do anything to get yourselves out of Egypt? You were slaves. Your your people were slaves for centuries. What did you do to win your freedom? You did nothing at all to win your freedom. You didn't do anything to get yourselves saved. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, bondage, chains. God did it. God is the author of salvation. So before the law was given... There is this great pronouncement. Before the law ever rolled out, I saved you. What do we call that? We have a word for that. We call it grace. Unmerited favor. See, this was a blessing that was freely bestowed upon these people who were in bondage and in slavery. And the law wasn't given to an enslaved people. The law was not given to a people in chains or bondage. The law was given to a saved people. In some Christian circles, there is confusion about this word grace. The idea that the God of the Old Testament is somehow arbitrary and different than the God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament is said to be this harsh lawgiver, while the God of the New Testament reveals love and grace. We just sang a song. Your love never changes. God does not change. God is immutable, and that word means unchangeable. In the New Testament book of James, the apostle wrote, every good and perfect gift comes down from God the Father who does not change like the shifting shadows. And you read Psalm 33 this week. Psalm 33 is also a reminder of that. God does not change. Psalm 33, 11 reads this way. 
The plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. God is a God of grace. When the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, God showed them grace. He promised them a savior. All right, he began this revelation of a plan and the plan of the Lord stands firm forever. The plan for Christ was revealed to Adam and Eve. Through the woman, God promised one who would crush the head of the enemy, crush the head of this serpent, which is Satan. He revealed the plan. The plan that stands firm forever. This is the God of the Old Testament. This is the God of the first book. This is the God of the, the first chapters of Genesis. This is the God of grace. God's plan stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. His plan for Jesus was a plan from the foundation of the world. It's a plan forever. See, then God covered Adam and Eve with skins. He clothed them. Grace took care of them. Grace revealed. Grace rolling on and on. Last Sunday, we recalled the plagues of Egypt. Those plagues, the, the Israelite people, the Hebrews, they didn't suffer in all of those plagues. God had compassion on his people. They had endured this long, long suffering. God was compassionate. In the chapters of Exodus that we've uh, covered this past week, we've read over a half a dozen times. With a mighty hand, with a mighty hand, God brought his people out of the land of slavery. It's all grace. It is all grace. Miracle after miracle. God figuratively lifting his people. God figuratively catching his people. Now, they may have been down uh, in this, this place of slavery, but they were not in a place totally without hope. They had this God underneath them. And something should be building in them as God performed these miracles, as God saved them over and over from these plagues, as he took them across a dry red sea. Something should be building and growing inside of them, and that is trust. You see all of this grace, does it not build trust? Now, I think about these people, and I guess I could understand a little bit of their skepticism. A little bit, at least. Here, Moses, this guy, they hadn't seen for 40 years. He had been gone. 40 years later, he shows up. And who is this Moses? Is he a son of slavery? Does he understand the hardship? Has he been building bricks for the past 40 years? Uh, has he been you know, building the cities for the Egyptians? No, this is Moses, who is not the son of slavery, but he's a son of privilege. He had been uh, raised as uh, the son of a princess of Egypt, right? Not subjected to the, the harshness that the slaves had endured. So I can understand the people looking at him with a little bit of sideways on their head. Uh-huh, who are you? I can see that maybe a little uncertainty, a little cynicism, perhaps, disbelief. But then, does he not show, hey, I'm here with you. God has called me. You know, plague after plague, miracle after miracle, God revealing his mighty hand. They cross the Red Sea. They get to the bitter water. It turns into drinkable water. 
And last week you read about the miracles uh, that continued in the book of Exodus. They start to get fed miraculously from God. What is this stuff on the ground? It's edible. It's manna, they called it. Manna from heaven. They get to a dry place out in the desert. Moses cracks the rock with his staff. Water comes out. Grace after grace after grace. Was trust expanding? Was the trust building in these people? Were the people growing and putting their trust in God who was catching them time after time? Who was going to catch them when they were falling? Evidently, they didn't believe it was God. The Israelites said things like this. If only we, would, if only we had died in Egypt. At least there we sat around pots of meat and we ate all the food we wanted. But you, Moses, you brought us out to this desert so that we could starve and die. Later, that, that was the beginning of Exodus 16. Later in Exodus 16, after Moses heard from the Lord, he said, all you, the entire community, come before the Lord because he's heard your grumbling. You're grumbling. You don't trust him. You don't trust. This is, this is the God who can stand underneath you and hold you, catch you. Exodus 17, Moses calls this place where they're at, he calls it Masa, which means testing, and Meribah, which means quarreling. Because the Israelites quarreled and they uh, tested God. They grumbled against him. So much grace. So little trust. And we might think that the uncertainty, the disbelief, the cynicism, it would begin to fade. If you saw all those miracles, would it begin to fade? It did with a few. There were men like Joshua, but not with the many, the overwhelming majority. They couldn't bring themselves to trust God. They could not believe that the Lord was their help. Psalm 33 is this reminder that we read last week that even the power of the army of Egypt and all their chariots and horses was nothing against the mighty hand of God. When we read that, it was on there uh, for last Tuesday. And that was the same day we read about Exodus chapter 20. That God is the God who took them out of the land of slavery. God is the God of salvation. And then in Psalm 33, it begins with exhortation and praise. Praise this God. Praise him. Because the earth is full of his unfailing love. And he's the God of creation. He has created everything. And his word is right and true. It's all a reminder. And he is sovereign over the nations because God's hand can do anything. He can foil the plans of nations. And his plans stand firm forever. We've already read that in Psalm 33:11. I want to read 16 through 22, verses 16 through 22 in Psalm 33. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. No, that's what God's doing. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help 
and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Of course, this psalm was written long after the travels of the Israelites. It's a great reminder. God is the God of creation. He is the God of salvation. There's no match for his mighty strength, right? The Israelites, they found it difficult in their hearts to rejoice. This psalm says rejoice. They couldn't rejoice. They didn't rejoice. They grumbled. I wonder, what did they expect? They've been pulled out of this place of slavery. They go from you know, bondage and forced labor, harsh treatment, this, this life of really extreme hardship. Did they think it was just, that's it. Now, I'll never have to work another day in my life. I'm never going to suffer any uh, hardship at all. I'll never be hungry. I'll never be thirsty. It seems odd to me, these people that were so familiar with difficulty, and they were, uh, centuries of slavery, all that forced work, their sons. Remember, the, the opening of the book of Exodus, their sons are being murdered. You know, the king of Egypt, the pharaoh of Egypt says, don't let these Hebrew boys live. We need to throw them in the Nile. That's a pretty hard life. Why were they so quick to complain in the face of a little adversity? It, okay, it's a, it's a hot day and we don't have water yet. Did they think they wouldn't have to dig a well or something? But they seemed so quick to lose hope and succumb to fear. It's difficult to understand. The psalm says, his eyes are on those who hope in his unfailing love. God was watching them. just hadn't sunk in. And then the psalm closed with these declarations. The Lord is our help. The Lord is our help. He is our help and shield, for we trust in his holy name. We saw Guppy this morning standing on top of this pyramid of girls, this human pyramid. And why did she do that? She knew who was helping her. She knows them. She knew who was helping to lift her up. She knew who was carrying her. And she knew when she was falling down, they were going to be there. They had proven themselves. They had proven in the past to be trustworthy. They could lift her to the top. They could catch her when she fell. They were her shield. She said to me this morning, they keep me safe. And that was was an unscripted interview. I just started talking to her. She said, they keep me safe. They protect me. She falls down. They are there. Can we not say the same for our God? We know him. We know his name. He is our help. He is our shield. And he can be completely trusted, completely trusted to carry us and when we're going down to catch us before we hit the rock bottom. Last Sunday, we discussed this holy name. It was Jehovah that Moses learned this and Lord told him, this is my name forever. And it means self-existent, the self-existent one. Why? Because nobody created him. He is self-existent. He said, I am that I am. I am self-existent. I am self-sufficient. And we know him by another name. 
the name Jesus. We know him by the name Jesus, Jesus Christ, God, uh, who came to earth in the flesh. God, our God who created us, but he came as the human form. This is the revealed plan of God. This was God's purpose of his heart through all generations. That's that plan that stood firm forever. And what is that plan? It's this, that Jesus that he, Jesus came to save us, that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. And you also are included in Christ when you have heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. That's Ephesians chapter one. If it sounds familiar, we just read it a week ago. In the law, in the Old Testament, we're reading that God begins to prescribe sacrifice for sin. Sin offended God. Sin is an offense. The disobedience of Adam and Eve, it offended God. It was an offense against their creator who said, don't do this, they disobeyed. And the offense is called sin, and it caused a slavery. It caused a bondage. God said to be free from that bondage requires something, a recompense or a payment. We might call it a fine. In our day and age, we say, well, there's a fine that we have to pay. God said, make a sacrifice, the best that you have. Blood was a necessity because it offended so much, and the life was in the blood, God said. And God would accept that sacrifice for sin, but sin would happen again. And another sacrifice was required. And another sacrifice. And so on and on it went. But thankfully that sacrificial system was temporary. The gospel of salvation was the firm plan of God. It was the firm plan of God forever. It was the purpose of his heart. And it can be trusted. And he sent Jesus as a man to be that final sacrifice for sin. He died an undignified death. The death of a criminal on a cross, crucified, and that cross is the message of the riches of God's grace. It is the message of truth, the cross. To be right with God is to recognize that truth. And it's to recognize that's grace. To receive Jesus as the final fine, the final payment. And in a word, it's salvation. It's a taking away from slavery, from this bondage to sin. That means something. It means if you've done that, if you said, Jesus, I see it. I've offended God. I, I, I get it. You came as the sacrifice. I no longer need to sacrifice for sin. You are the final sacrifice. I will receive that. I will turn from my sin. That means something. It means you see Jesus as the God of Psalm 33. Because he is the same God. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is our help and he is our shield. In him, our hearts can rejoice and we can trust in his holy name. Psalm 33 can apply right to today when you've got Jesus Christ. Now, do we rejoice or do we grumble? Sometimes I grumble. I admit it. I have to repent of that. I have to go before God. Sometimes I grumble. There are certain circles of 
Christianity that say we can never, ever grumble. Life should always be perfect. We should live in 100% prosperity. We should always have the best car. We should always have the biggest house because that's the way it should be in Christianity. There should never be any adversity. There should be no challenges in life. You should never be sick or suffer any kind of physical body pain. There are some circles of Christianity that preach that. I don't find that necessarily to be the truth in the Bible. I see these Israelites that came out of bondage, they came out of slavery, but yet they faced adversity and they faced challenges in life. And they were to learn they could trust in God. You know, after all, there's, uh, that's the one way that you can rejoice in life if there's no issues, but how, how is that gonna build any trust? I rejoice when my God has caught me. I rejoice knowing he is. If you never fall, do you ever need to know who's going to catch you? I mean, that is not the message of Christianity, that life is going to be perfect. When we start reading the letter of the Philippians, we started that this week. We read the first two chapters. I mean, where was, the, where was this writer, Paul, he was in God's hand. He was in the hand of God because he was imprisoned. He was in chains. He was under a house arrest in a Roman uh, a house. He had a guard looking after him. You can read the book of Acts to read the details that he says, yes, there's, uh, there was a guard in the house. But in the letter to the Philippians, Paul said it two, three times in the first chapter. I'm in chains. I'm in chains. Isn't that bondage? Isn't that, doesn't that, doesn't that smack of what the, uh, the Israelites were going through? But Paul had Jesus Christ. And he said, uh, even though I'm in chains, I am in chains for Christ. And he said to these Philippian people, I long to see you. I want to see you. God knows that I want to see you. You think he's grumbling? What do you think? Is Paul going to grumble and say, oh, and, and I can't see you because my God has failed me again and who's going to rescue me? Or does he trust Jesus Christ to be his help and his shield even in this situation? Is he trusting in the name of his Lord and his Savior Jesus? Is he rejoicing? Again, he's in chains. And we might expect, and I might give the guy uh, a little bit of, uh, you know, might say, okay, it's all right. If you complain a little bit, I get it. You're in prison. I might expect you to write to me and say, oh, I'm a little troubled and yeah, it's a little depressing. I could probably expect a little grumbling. Quite frankly, if I was in chains, stuck to a house with a guard over me, I'd probably grumble too. But what does Paul write? In Philippians chapter one, after he tells us, he reminds us he's in chains, he writes this. Philippians 1, 18 and 19. And because of this, I rejoice. Wow. That's what Psalm 33 was telling us. He's in chains. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. 
He will rejoice. He will trust fully in Jesus Christ. He is not preaching some gospel of perfection and uh, awesome prosperity for every Christian. He isn't saying that to believe in Christ is to never have a challenge or a hardship. His life was quite the opposite. He suffered much. He was beaten, shipwrecked, and all the like. He was not immune to the trials of life just because he believed in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, but he was unwavering in his devotion and in in his trust of Jesus. His trust was anchored on something and that anchor was called Jesus Christ. That was his name and it was his help and his shield. He had a, a, a metaphor, if you will, a picture. He had a fall. He was imprisoned in the Roman penal system, but he hadn't fallen to the point of no hope. Jesus was carrying him while he was in chains. And he looked forward expectantly to deliverance, rejoicing as he made his request to the people, pray for me. I know God's provision is going to come. Pray for me, though, and your prayers will help me in my deliverance. And he rejoiced. I saw this once. I saw this, uh, this unfold with a person who was down, a person who we could say, shared some of his likenesses of Paul, was feeling the prison system. Man's name was Dave. Uh, I was asked to go pick him up. It was his last day in the, in the system. And I went up to 26 Mile Road there to the Macomb Correctional Facility to pick him up as he was exiting uh, the Michigan prison system. So I and that day, I've, I've got lots of stories from that day. I will share one day what occurred while, while I was waiting for uh, Dave, but uh, that's another story. It's a long story. When he, uh, when he came out, oh, he was thrilled. Got, put him in my car. The first thing to do is we have to go to the parole office and check in. So I drive him to Mount Clemens, and we check in with his parole officer, and he gets some uh, he gets some direction. You got to have an address. You need a place to stay. He was hoping to stay at the Gateway to Glory house, but they were, they were full. They weren't going to have a bed for a few days. And they said, well, you're going to have to go to this Macomb County share house. You need an address. So uh, he wasn't too happy with that, but we had to do it. Uh, on the way, we stopped, for, uh, we stopped to, to get lunch. And Dave was having trouble with his teeth. You know, I, he told me, listen, in the prison system, the dental plan is really bad. So, yeah, his, his, he, was, he was having struggles with a, with a tooth. He had this loose tooth and he was, couldn't eat. So uh, we, we actually made a quick stop here. Uh, I talked with the brother Steve Malik who told me, hey, listen, go here, turn left there, find this house and he says, you go up to this house, knock on the door, and a guy will make you some teeth. And, you know, it's like, Malik, only Steve. I mean, seriously, really? <laughs> I'm going to take this guy to this house. I said, he makes, he makes teeth in his kitchen? Steve's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, all right. So I went to this house, and yeah, it was a house. And it was a little dental lab. Yeah, the, the guy made teeth in his house. And so we knocked on the door, and Dave... You know, I said, hey, I got this guy here, Dave. He needs teeth. And <laughs> this guy's like, who sent you? I said, well, Steve sent me. And he's like, oh, Steve, okay. So 
Dave is having trouble. And the guy says, open your mouth. And he opens his mouth and he's like, you got to get that tooth pulled. I can't make a mold with your tooth like that. So Dave reaches in and these guy's like, no, don't do it right now. Don't pull it out right now. He's like, get it handled. Get your tooth pulled. Come back. So Dave said, okay, I'll do that. So he needed to get to a dentist, get his tooth pulled, and then he could get back to this, uh, this dental lab slash kitchen and get his teeth made. So I got to take him now to this share house, which I did. We drove over. So we had gone from Mount Clemens over to Chicago Road and Van Dyke. And that's sort of like going back to prison. We went in there. They, they wouldn't let me into, they did not allow me in the parole office. When I tried to go in, they said, no, no, you can't come in. So I'd never met Dave's parole officer or anything. Now we go to the share house. They let me come in while he was going to get registered there. Click, three doors locked behind me. I said, oh, this is like prison again. And he was, he was feeling pretty down. And they put us in this room with glass on three sides so they could watch us. It was a small room. And he just did not want to be there. And I could see why. It just felt like he was going to go back into the system. And he started to talk to this man who was going to register him. And he said, I need to get to the dentist to get my tooth pulled. I'm hoping to do that tomorrow. And this man, I just will say he was mean. He said, no, you're not going to the dentist. You won't be going to the dentist for weeks. You think you're getting a pass? You're never going to get a pass. I will not write you a pass. I mean, he was really harsh and heavy-handed. I was thinking, wow, this is hard. So as we sat there, Dave says to me, we got to pray. We got to pray. And I said, you're right. We, let's pray. So we prayed. We were sitting in this little room with, with the windows all around us. And we prayed. Just, Lord, we need some provision here. Yeah. Dave needs some help. Needs to get this tooth taken care of. And they don't want to write a pass. We just pray. We're, we have our hands together. We say amen. We look up. And I kid you not, I'm sitting next to him. And he says, there's my parole officer. He had just met this lady in Mount Clemens. And there she was standing at one of the windows. And he said, do you think you can run around and talk to her? And I said, well, sure, I sure will try. So I run around and say, excuse me, are you his parole officer? She said, oh, yeah, I just met him today. I said, he needs to get to the dentist, and he'd like a pass. And they say he's not going to get one. She said, oh, I'll write him a pass for tomorrow. He can go to the dentist. You want to talk about rejoicing? I'll tell you what. We... And here is Dave. He's like, we got to pray. We got to pray. And we prayed. And I mean, it was an instant answer to his prayer. Uh, He was, I think I saw him the following Wednesday in church with his teeth and a great smile. And he was out. And I'm serious. It was like, I likened it to Paul. You know, here he, he was down. He's in the, he's in the system, but he knew who he could trust. And he hadn't hit the bottom. And he knew he was going to catch him. He said, Pat, let's pray. We're going to pray today. And before we do, I want to ask, do you trust him? Do you trust Jesus? Is he your Lord that can carry you? You know, when you're up on the high, 
high? And when you feel like you're tumbling down, do you know he's going to catch you? Before we pray, we want to worship our God, the Lord we can trust. He's our help and our shield. We want to worship him today. We're going to open these altars and pray. We're going to have our elders come. And you know, you might be in a spot maybe like Dave's. Let's pray. Let's pray. I cannot promise you you're going to open your eyes and you're going to see your answer that fast. But I'll tell you what, it can happen. I witnessed it. He can do it again today. Let's worship. Let's worship him. stand together. Let's put all our trust in him today. Amen. There you go. Father of kindness, you have poured out grace. Brought me out of darkness, you have filled me with peace.
presence in our midst right now. Thank you, mighty Holy Spirit. It is by the mighty hand of God that you do great things, God, and we are trusting in that mighty hand today. We are trusting you, Lord, as we draw to these altars today. We trust your mighty hand, Lord, and we pray that you would work and be channels uh, of blessing through our elders, God, as they have prepared themselves and opened their hearts, Lord. Use them today, we pray in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And I want to invite all our elders to these altars and any of you before you move from your seats to be prayed for. There's a few in our congregation I just want to take a minute to remember, and that's Erwin Gerding. He has the shingles. He's suffering in pain. Emmanuel Johnson also dealing with pain in his hip, and they're telling him he needs a hip replacement, and he's going to have to wait a few weeks to, before that can happen. Marianne Lapointe is going to have a knee replacement this Thursday. Steve Ross is dealing with uh, chronic nerve pain. And uh, we want to remember the Goyke family. Ashley Goyke contacted us yesterday. Her father, Jeff Jarvis, died suddenly uh, on Friday night. And uh, she sent us a, a message this morning. She said, pray hard for us. And I want to do that this morning. Lift that family up. And any needs you have. And then for those further needs. You can just make your way down here to our elders. Let's pray. Father God, thank you, God. Thank you. You are the God we can trust, Lord. I know some of these people feel they've fallen, Lord, or they are falling. We trust you, Jesus. We trust your name. Your name is the name above every name. There is no name higher than Jesus. We know you, Lord, and we know your name, and we trust your name that you will be there to catch them. Lord, it may not be at the point we think 
you should do the work. But I know one thing for sure, God, it's gonna be the point where it's perfect, where your hand reaches underneath us and you hold us and you love us. And Lord, I pray for these that are suffering pain that you would wrap your arms around them and you would be their relief, God. Not only that physical pain, but the pain in the heart that the Goiki family is suffering. Lord, salve and soothe that heart, we pray. All of their hearts, Lord. Brad and the children and Ashley, God, we just pray the God of all comfort. Your word tells us that. Father, God, you're the God of all comfort. And we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that the Holy Spirit would minister to that family and that they would truly, truly testify of you lifting them at this point, Lord, where they may feel so low. I know, God, you can do it. Be the rock beneath their feet. Be their refuge. Be their strength. Be their strong tower that they can run to and be safe, Lord. We just pray for that for them and for all who need it, God. And we thank you, God, for your continued presence in our service. As, as any, in, uh, any in this house come forward, Lord, to get prayed for, Lord, we just pray your presence to be with us. And we thank you as we continue to worship you and praise you and to pray. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.